Hello? Tim, can you hear me? I can hear you all right now. Okay, cool. This is going to be odd, but we'll try it out. Uh, everybody all right, very good. Can everybody else hear it? Yeah. I hear great. Okay. You want to see if... Can you hear me, Tim? I can hear you. Okay, cool. Can you hear me? This is Betsy. I can hear you as well. And what a delight it is. Wonderful. Uh, lovely. Should we introduce ourselves really quickly? Uh, yeah, everyone's just uh, just so we go, yeah, just so every, yeah, he's got an idea who who he's talking to. My name's Adam McBride Smith. I'm the uh, the co-chair of the Portland DSA Medicare for All campaign. Yeah, go ahead, Betsy. Hello. And and uh, I'm Betsy, and I'm chair of the Portland Jobs with Justice Healthcare Committee, and also on the board of Nurses for Single Payer here in Portland. Awesome. Excellent. Hello. Me. Sure. Um, hey, my name is Nico Serra. Um, let's see what to say I'm doing these days. I mostly work on a nonprofit. We focus on uh, working with people with disabilities around housing issues and other advocacy stuff. Um, yeah, uh, the rest of the the rest of my stuff will come out as we talk. I'm sure. There we go. And uh, oh, uh, Garrett, do you want to say hello? Well, I'm Garrett. I'm functioning as co-host. That's what go. I will say. And you are listening to welcome, welcome everyone to giving the mic to the wrong person. I am your host Jeremy. We are doing a uh, slightly special edition here with we got a nice round table of Portland uh, health just, justice advocates and organizers and uh, us in in two uh, in us two um, I don't know the, the, the well meaning uh, podcast hosts, but also a special guest on the line. Special guest on the line. Could you introduce yourself to our viewing audience? Hello, my name is Timothy Faust. I talk about single-payer Medicare for All and health policy around the U.S. I just wrote a book, Health Justice Now, Single-Payer and What Comes Next, which you could buy if you want to. Um, and I'm happy to be here. Excellent. And yeah, we uh, wanted to get in touch with you because we have, I think we briefly talked to you last year when you were on one of your... Uh, the uh, uh, Northwest swing of uh, your 2018 tour of sorts through Portland, and but your book's out, and it's and I think you are coming to Powell's in what September 24th, I believe it is. Uh, actually, the tw- the 26th. That's the 26th. Yes, which is a Thursday, isn't it? I'll have the. Uh, yes, the- that's right. So I wanted wanted to uh, so we could talk to you beforehand and everyone in chat about both what you're doing, uh, the cause, uh, the concepts of health justice, and um, as well, you know, kind of tying from what you've seen, talking to everybody in the um, across the nation, but also and also kind of tying to what different what folks in Portland have been working on too. Tim, can you give us what your your definition is as well as what's kind of uh, what kind of brought you to uh, to writing the book? Sure. Well, you've got health justice is a, is, is a broad and, and encompassing term, which contains a lot of different things, right? You've got things like Medicare for all or single payer, which are different ways of arranging the health finance component of, 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 of healthcare in the U.S. But you've got health justice, which is a understanding that different factors which drive a person's health care interconnected, and most of them happen well outside the hospital or operating. In fact, it's estimated that only a fifth of health outcomes are driven by access to health care or uh, quality of care. Other uh, uh, outcomes are driven by, for example, um, access to housing. If you live in unsafe housing, if you don't have housing, if your housing is flammable or full of mold or full of water, you're going to get sick. Uh, um, and so therefore, housing is a form of healthcare. And investing in housing equity, housing justice, and social housing are forms of healthcare. It's a part of the uh, an umbrella, the panoply of health justice. Same with things like food. You don't have healthy food to eat, if you can afford healthy food, 
you might get things like diabetes or comorbidities like cardiac failure. And so therefore, food is a form of health care and providing people with affordable or free uh, food options and the time, space, materials with which to prepare them as a kind of health care. And that's also a component of health justice. Same for environmental justice, economic justice, reproductive justice, justice for black lives, for trans lives, for immigrants, for brown lives, for prisoners. All these different things interweave into our relationship with our body and our doctors and our communities. And so if you want to understand healthcare in the U.S., you can't just focus on doctors and patients. You got to think about the entire broader stretch of what determines our health. Great. What, uh, so I guess what brought you to doing the book is you've been out, I think, talking live for a couple, uh, but it's been a couple, it's been a few years now, haven't you? Yeah, we're hitting the two year anniversary pretty soon. And, uh, you know, I'm not on the road all the time. I come home to my girlfriend and dog and my full time job. But uh, uh, I'm sorry, my fiance, my dog and my full time job. But yeah, I've been about two years. Um, I want to say I'm, I'm guessing 30,000 miles, uh, um, which is which, which is cool. I wrote the book because someone asked me to, which is the maybe not the noblest answer, but, uh, but is accurate. I was invited to write a book and thought that'd be useful. Not a lot of healthcare policy is written for, quote unquote, regular people. Usually health policy is written by and for health policy experts, which is, you know, not the most exciting thing in the world when healthcare is so uh, immediate and so material and so essential to how we live our lives. So I wanted to write a book that anybody could read that explains what we have now, how to, what is insurance, how does it work, uh, what are the components of insurance, what's Medicare, what's long-term care, what's home health, uh, what do we want instead, what is single payer. Uh, how does single payer operate? How do we finance it? What are all the uh, ins and outs of that? But then kind of beyond that, this broader idea of health justice. How do we really expand our, our idea of a broader world? What is this better vision of how things can and should be? Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so Nico here, um, I just wanted to say I'm really excited to hear that you're you're really considering the social determinants of health as a part of healthcare And healthcare, you know, as you're saying, and, and what I'm picking up from you know, your book and whatnot is healthcare is it's where medicine meets money, but it's not necessarily where, where health happens, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, um, so I'm just really excited to hear somebody else saying housing is healthcare because it is. Um, I've actually met people who are, who are medical providers who have told me stories about having, uh, clients that were out on the street and they needed a surgery and the doctor wouldn't give them the surgery because they knew that they were going to get sick and probably die out on the street. So all of these things come together and they need to work differently than they are right now. Absolutely. And you've got experiments run by private and private hospitals, uh, or I'm sorry, private actors, uh, the University of, Chica uh, of Chicago Hospital, I believe, or University of Illinois at Chicago Hospital, as well as a private hospital in Florida, understood that they had a bunch of, and the term they use is frequent flyers. That is people who are in and out, in and out, in and out of the hospital. Often they're in and out of the hospital because they don't have a place to live. And you get sick from exposure uh, and you die from exposure much faster than you die of cancer, for example. So people would go out, live in the streets, get sick, come back to the hospital, and because it was cold outside, too hot outside. Um, get out, get sick, come back in, the kind of this revolving door. And so University of Illinois, Chicago, and this hospital in uh, uh, Orlando, I forgot what, what its name is, decided to invest in building housing for its uh, most frequent flyers. What if we give them a free place to live? What happens? And of course, what happens is obvious. Their healthcare costs uh, dropped substantially. But like, this is too important of an experiment to delegate to private actors. 
One, they can't afford to handle the volume of housing required, and two, they're motivated by factors um, other than like the general needs of a population. Yeah, well, and you know, speaking of housing, um, so the work that I I do most of the time, I'm a huge Medicare for All advocate and was on the board of our our state organization here for a while, and um, like to go to town halls and harass politicians about these things. Always fun, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but what I spend most of my time doing is volunteering um, and helping people with disabilities um, get into housing because we are just met with these very unique circumstances that, you know, for example, if you use a power chair, um, you might end up in a group home or a nursing home or something like this. And and um, it's really exciting, Tim, to hear that you're talking about this. Um, I know doing the intimate work that I am that, that these nursing homes and these other uh, institutions are an integral part of the prison industrial complex, and there is a huge industry, um, you know, happening from the exploitation of the most sick people and the most injured and ill people. And it's just getting into these places and meeting people in these places and finding out, hearing their stories, and you know, finding out. Well, uh, you know, my I have someone I'm married to, but we can't live together because I'll lose half my social security, and and um, you know, or that you know, these places get paid fifteen thousand dollars per person per month to do care, but then they have the gall to turn around and and charge somebody room and board on top of that, and then pay their workers twelve dollars an hour. Like you know, I. I could go on, believe me, but I, I'm not going to. I just wanted to say I'm really excited, Tim, that you are talking about this because most people don't realize that nursing homes and these other places, they are very much like prison and they are part of the prison industrial complex, in my opinion. Oh, I, I agree. I think uh, at, at best, uh, in the most generous uh, uh, estimate, nursing homes are warehouses. Uh, I got a buddy who's in the book was muscular dystrophy who says that uh, nursing homes are where people like him go to die. Um, independent living is a, a fundamental component of, 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 of health justice. In Tennessee, for example, there, up until recently, there was no home health permitted through Medicaid. So people would have to divorce down, or it, the, the requirements for, for home health were extremely stringent. So people would need to either spend down or get divorced or move, abandon their families, just to have a chance to uh, live freely in their own homes, live freely in their own bodies. And of course, these nursing homes... Uh, are generally pretty unregulated. It is, a, it is a wild west. They hire people uh, who then, like it was a case in Arkansas, I believe, where uh, uh, a state rep was busted for being a current employee of a nursing home. And of course, he himself uh, helped pass bills limiting medical malpractice lawsuits for nursing home residents. Uh, it is rotten. It, wow. It, I'm it, guessing it's a, a, it's a well a, uh, remunerated employee of that nursing home, I would guess. <laughs> oh, Sure. I mean, not that it needs to be, right? Even even uh, $40,000 buys you a lot. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. Well, and what's what's remarkable to me is being in some of these places, visiting clients, and then we've got the, the owner of the home who shows up in their brand new Audi SUV and is looking at their workers and saying, well, you know, we can't pay you anymore. And, and the, you know, the people stuck in the house is, well, they're not allowed to go out for lunch or have their partner come over and close the door, you know. Um, the, the list the list goes on and on, but gosh, what kind of what kind of person or industry? I mean, it's capitalism, really. But you know, uh, exploiting uh, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities um, just because you have a low IQ doesn't mean you should be in jail. And um, so, one of the, speaking of jail, going into these places, one of the most startling things for me as a, I'm I'm a white passing person of color. Um, is that there are almost no brown and black people in these places. 
And so I've actually started talking to the ombudsman department here and long-term care facilities and all this stuff. And I'm saying, where are all the brown and black people? And why aren't they in these group homes or, or, you know, cause we're talking about people who are in wheelchairs, who, who might not talk and, you know, are very, very severe and profound disabilities. But I'm looking around and saying, I know that the health outcomes for people of color are worse. Where are the people of color and why aren't they here? And I wish that I could say it's because they're at home with their families. And in some cases that might be true. Um, but I, I guess that my estimate is, and I haven't been into the state hospital here in, in Oregon yet, but I'm going to guess that a lot of people of color in the state hospitals where they go in and they lock the doors up and it's, you know, it's old school, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. So, you know, if they're not there, they're on the streets or they're in prison. Yeah, uh, Tim. And in your book, you have what you have the entire section. Was it was it the Harris, the Harris County Prison or the jail down in right in uh, in Houston? Yes. Where you? Uh, uh, I, I talk. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I talk about how the Harris County jails uh, um, basically serve as a warehouse for people with uh, mental disabilities or mental health problems. <sighs> wow. Yeah, I think that you know what. Ever since the Reagan administration, that's more and more the case. I mean, and just the general phenomenon of. I don't know if it's people that aren't useful to capital, whether they're elderly, whether they're uh, disabled in some way or um, have mental problems. Yeah, we just kind of go, hey, let's put you in this box yeah. <laughs> where uh, no one has to think or worry about you. Yeah. It's just it's just surplus population. Yeah. 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 Well, and and. So what, as I understood it, they they started uh, during the Reagan administration to to close some of these state hospitals and some of these places, but at the same time they were doing these austerity measures where they would also cut funding for housing. and 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 I've talked to older people, and they've said to me, and I don't know, maybe Betsy can speak to this about. Did you notice that there was a big boom of when these hospitals and facilities started closing? That that's when people started living out on the streets, and that's. I've heard people say that, and I'm curious if you saw that. I don't specifically remember that. Okay. But I actually worked um, just as a clerk in a rural mental health center, county mental health center, when those moves were happening to open up and let people out of these giant hospitals. And there were never, ever the adequacy of community-based Right. facility right ever since i mean decades and decades ago yeah um, yeah and and like you were saying it's it's a, there is this idea of putting people away somewhere you know we don't have supposedly you know we don't have a, a official caste system like they do in india for example but we do have our un, you know our quote undesirable population that right. just gets tossed aside well we just don't know what to do you know and so the people who are used to thinking along, you know, sort of market-based lines, there's just, right. they have nothing. I mean, they have nothing, right. you know, and they just go, well, let's just put them away then, I guess. Right, right. But, and when you become disabled and you can't scrap. Yeah. I mean, we do. We are disabled. I'm disabled, and, I, and we are scrappers. You have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you can't go out and get another gig to pay the bills. You can't go pick up a shift somewhere, or do this or that, and then it's like, that's it. You're just, you, you're, you hope you have what they call natural supports and people around you that love you and are going to help you stay out of places, but it's, you know. Tim, I, uh, I have a question. It's, see, how long has it been since you went on your last kind of, your last tour? I took a, a, a couple of months off. Sorry, I, uh, it's really been since about the end of last year. My last big tour was going to Idaho uh, and looking at the Reclaim Idaho movement there. Uh, and then I wrote the book. And then I've been focusing on things like 
moving and my job and stuff like that ever since. But I'm about to hit the road. I think uh, uh, tomorrow I, I get into a plane and fly out. And then I'm doing uh, um, about 20-ish stops in the next 30 days or so, uh, next 40 days. So hopefully I can use that to get back out and learn more about how things are happening on the ground. Are you going to bring? Uh, are you, uh, I know I noticed you have the, you have the tour graphic. Are you going to bring? Uh, are you going to bring tour shirts with you to to uh, to help support your uh, your way? You know, I wanted to do shirts, and we were going to do shirts, but my publisher backed out at the last minute. But uh, uh, wow. we have a sick design, and I want to use it. Um, my buddy Zeke made it for me. I think I do want to go ahead and make shirts of that, and. Uh, it's, I'll think I'll sell, I'll sell it online. Excellent. Well, the question I brought up, and I think, um, and you, you mentioned, what was it, Reclaim Idaho? Yeah, Reclaim Idaho. Uh, well, the, my, my original question was going to be if, if in your last kind of uh, recently in the, you know, in the, in the, in the couple of years you've been doing this, if you've seen any, uh, what have you seen that is, is <laughs> been, uh, if not positive, at least not horrible signs? And I guess if you could talk about the, um, your work with the Reclaim Idaho, a little bit of the background too, I believe, which was the successful Reclaim Idaho move, movement, I guess, campaign? Yeah. I mean, the most, the, the, the biggest silver lining, the biggest happy story in my book is 100% Reclaim Idaho. Reclaim Idaho started off in Sandpoint, Idaho, which is at the top of the northern, uh, let's say, peninsula of Idaho. It's a ski town, a tourist destination. It is beautiful. And uh, it began when three friends, Emily and Garrett Strizik and their friend Luke Mayville, got upset that the city was not able to adequately fund its school. Um, there were no state taxes available for it, and the school was going to close, and they were mad about this. So they organized and passed a lien to keep the school open, and they won. They were like, oh, we can do that. We can, we can organize our hometown. We can organize our community. Let's, we, we, we can win this thing. Let's aim for something a little bit bigger. So they bought a camper van, and they painted it green, and they drove around the entire state for a year, talking to folks, throwing town halls, organizing whatever they could, because they wanted to... Um, put together a petition to put Medicaid expansion on the ballot in 2018. And they needed something like 80,000 signatures or whatever. And so they traveled around from city to city, county to county, uh, and they talked to anybody they could. And if somebody seemed competent and wanted to organize their own hometown, they kind of gave them the keys and said, okay, we'll loop you in. I'll we'll give you what you need. Please organize your county and organize canvases and that kind of thing. And so all of a sudden they had this network of hundreds of, 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 of people um, with a, a small core in 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 uh, Moscow, Idaho, and uh, they organized dozens of, of of canvases, hundreds of canvassers, knocked on thousands of doors, and put together a massive popular movement for Medicaid expansion. And that massive movement won overwhelmingly at the ballot box. In 2018, it turned out 61 percent of the vote, which is just a real slobber knocker. And now, like. There was no blue wave in Idaho. It wasn't like uh, anti-Trump sentiment carried the thing. The Dem candidate for governor lost by 22 points. Um, this was a like individual movement that won on its own merits. And the cool thing is now it gets to kind of call it shot, right? Uh, if you win something, and of course, like state reps tried to get in the way, tried to block it, um, trying to pass work requirements like elected officials. You, you don't win power overnight, um, but they won a lot of power very quickly. And uh, now they kind of get to pick well, the next thing they organize around and kind of um, call their shot going forward. I think we've seen that model also in Maine. Uh, the Maine People's Alliance organized and won for a minimum wage campaign like two or three years ago and wanted to gun for Medicaid expansion. 
got all the signatures they needed, I think, in literally one day. Turned out canvassers during the 2016 election and uh, uh, turned out all the votes, signatures they needed to, to put, put it on the ballot. And then won, overwhelmingly, I think 59% at the ballot uh, the following year. You can, the movements which win, beget movements which win. Uh, you can organize things that are material locally and then turn those into things that are a little bit broader and build momentum to keep carrying you forward. Awesome. Um, I think Adam had a question. Yeah, no, I, I love the like the positive story that, that you've brought there um, with the Idaho movement. I'm just wondering, like, as we look forward to how we win single payer, how we win Medicare for all, I think one conversation that we're starting to have a lot with people is about, for example, the public option and why the public option is not a good idea. And you talk about this in your book. I think there's a great passage in there about it. Um, you, talk, you cite the example of South Africa, uh, South Africa's experience with the public option. And I thought that was really interesting. I wanted to hear more about that. Um, so I'm wondering, yeah, if you can talk about that more, uh, give us some details there on why you think the public option is not a good idea and why single payer is the way forward. Sure. So let's stay, let's start from the, from, from the top. The public option is an attempt to run a public insurance company alongside existing private insurance companies. And the idea is that the public option will do so much better that private insurance will need to either ship up or shape, uh, shape up or ship out. Of course, that doesn't happen. That was the original idea of Medicare Advantage. And then all the insurance companies who are Medicare Advantage uh, compelled the government to reduce all the advantages that the uh, public actor had to make them more competitive uh, in, in the long run, of course. But it doesn't work. Uh, the problems in American healthcare come because we have so many insurers and because we can't use their combined strength to both bring down medical costs and guarantee coverage, people, people are left behind, right? This fragmented base can't do the things that a single payer can do. What a, what a public option does do is put like a band-aid or a, a short-term fix on the problem of uh, private health insurance, but nothing more. And I think a, a good model for why I'm skeptical of the public, of the public option is the private student loan industry, right? So you've got federal student loans, they exist. They've got tight caps, and any move to expand them is then counteracted by the, what is it, like uh, $8 million a year? Maybe it's even, it's, it's either, it could be eight or more. Sally Mae itself spends $8 million a year on lobbying um, to make sure that public uh, student loans don't get inflated too much. Private companies will, at the end of the day, permit a public option only up to the point when it becomes, becomes a threat to their profits, right? Public option will be kind of uh, weakened or watered down such that it doesn't actually pose a threat to Cigna or Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield. It doesn't work. And it doesn't have any of the strengths that a single payer has. So it's a wholly insufficient solution that only serves to kind of like compulsively genuflect towards the idea of keeping private industry profitable uh, without solving the problems of American health finance. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you bring up Medicare Advantage. Um, we've been talking about this. Uh, our Oregon Senator Ron Wyden is loves to talk about Medicare Advantage. Um, Kamala Harris obviously loves to talk about Medicare Advantage. Um, can can you talk, or, or Nico, maybe you can talk also about uh, some of the problems with that that particular model? Yeah, I mean, um, so I'm a dual coverage person. I'm on Medicare and Medicaid. And um, Medicaid is what saves the day. And that's per state, right? So the state of Oregon has decent Medicaid, and, and that's what allows me to have um, a personal assistant uh, care worker to come over and help my partner and I with, with all sorts of personal care things, to help us with cooking and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Medicare, Medicare Advantage, um, you know, if you whittle that out, the Medicaid part, um, it's pretty frustrating. You have to pay 
So, you know, we're talking about people who are on social social security. If you're married, you're getting maybe four or $500 a month. Um, if you're not married, you can get six, seven, maybe $800 a month for most of us. Most of us are around 700 and they want to charge you a hundred and I think it's $112 a month to be on the Medicare plan. So if I wasn't in, if I wasn't destitute, I would have to pay $105 a month or $12 or whatever it is a month, um, to have this plan. And then, and then they go and you know, it's typical insurance bullshit. It's how much you pay for the co-pays, how much you pay for the meds, how much you pay for this type of exam or whatever. And it's just, it doesn't work. And, and even people like me who are a dual coverage person, I'm not supposed to be paying anything out of pocket ever for healthcare. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. I have a whole file in my cabinet of out-of-pocket expenses, mm-hmm. you know, and then they want to get into, you know, well, yeah. I, I, I won't tell you more about it. it it's not working. <laughs> uh, Tim, anything to add? Yeah. Medicare Advantage is designed to lure folks in with like Fitbits and silver sneakers programs and other gizmos. And uh, it works great until you are sick or need health care. Um, then you discover that it has all the problems of insurance, com- of, of insurance companies, uh, narrow networks, co-pays, premiums, etc., uh, uh, and none of the benefits it, it, it claims to have. Uh, people leave Medicare Advantage faster than, the, than they come in. People tend to leave when they're sick uh, and, and, and come in when they're healthy. It's just a way of kind of carving out the inexpensive people to insure from the Medicare population and making sure that their money goes to private insurance companies instead of being used in the broader um, pub- public pool. It's uh, And then also on top of that, they, they, they commit massive fraud. Uh, uh, there's a shit ton of fraud that happens in Medicare Advantage. Long story short, uh, um, Medicare Advantage programs get, you could say, bonuses if their members end up being sicker than expected. If I go into an Advantage program and uh, Medicare thinks I only have one condition, and midway through the year, it's discovered that I have three conditions. Uh, Medicare will subsidize my costs to Medicare Advantage, kind of, kind of give them a bonus, um, because they didn't know that I was sicker than ever, everyone suspected. And God forbid that Medicare Advantage, you know, pay that. And so what that means is that Medicare Advantage companies now their real profit driver is to take people and find as many possible conditions as they can diagnose and diagnose them with those. So they pressure doctors or they hire hospitals whose job it is is to send a doctor into your room and find all the possible things they can put in your chart and put it on that chart. I mean, hell, Monte Fiore in New York is known for like selling a upcharting package um, to, to, to Medicare Advantage company. And then also there's the, the illegal side of that, in which uh, hospitals just fabricate um, diagnoses, sorry, in which uh, insurance companies just fabricate diagnoses or don't remove old diagnoses when, uh, when, 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 when they're out of date and still cal- collect that big check at the end of the year. I think there was a there was a whistleblower in Minnesota who claimed that his insurer, I forget which one it was, I think United Health, uh, bilked the government for thirty-five billion dollars a year. That's a hard B bundo, thirty-five bundo over the past uh, seven or eight years. Wow, jeez. So, so, so it's cool. It's good. Uh, Tim, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, so thanks. this is Betsy, and it's a comment as much as a question. That I was really excited reading your book to think about health justice, to think about poverty, to think about equity, and the ways that single payer can be a first step in addressing those. Mm. And the passion of your expressing those things, I think, is a real shot in the arm for those of us who care about, um, about justice, about fighting capitalism, 
and not just about affordable health care. Mm. Um, and that language of your book is really powerful also in just evoking the suffering of our neighbors that we've been willing to put up with and of ourselves mm. and using that as a real force going forward and an inspiration for thinking big about the movement that we do want to build together. Oh, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. And it is. We are. You know, we've all kind of been thrust through the maw. Uh, we didn't choose to be born the way that we're born. Some of us are born into bodies that suffer. Some of us discover that suffering later. And to we have made, we've explicitly made a choice to decide that some people will be bankrupted by their suffering and some people won't. Uh, the, the children, poor children will die of things that rich children won't. We've, we've made these choices. We exist in a model in which these choices are explicitly being made. And uh, I simply don't want to stand for that any longer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to say, um, yeah, thank you, Betsy, because if we're not doing this in an equitable way, you know, we might get Medicare for all and everybody has health care. But if it hasn't been done, it, it hasn't been done through an equitable, equitable process. That means that, yeah, technically you could go into the doctor, but because it's not equitable, you probably won't. Right. So, um, so, you know, equity has to be, I think, the foundation of, of the work that we're doing because if we don't have equity and inclusion, what, we're, you, yeah, <laughs> what are point? you doing? What's the point? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Real quick. And on, and on, and on that note, on the, especially on the equitable pit, uh, Tim, can you, um, I guess the, kind of the last question I have that's on the topic is, can you, um, and this is probably not the most subtle way to ask the question, but, you know, that's never stopped me before. Um, uh, can you talk about, I guess, the, the, the need for trans rights and, and trans services as a part of an equitable, uh, is it, is it part of equitable health justice and, uh, and also yeah, a I, necessary part of a single player, single payer plan? Yeah. I mean, if it's not uh, trans health, if trans health care is included, then we haven't covered all health care for all people, which is a, like, a single-payer program, a good single-payer program, the American Medicare for All program, must provide all care for all people. And uh, um, that's normally, for, for, for most kinds of care, you can say all medical care for all people and you're covered. Trans care is a little bit different, uh, only in that um, things like gender-affirming surgery might not have literal medical or diagnosis-based needs, right? I think you want to demedicalize trans health care to the extent you can. Uh, at least that, that's, that's what I've been told. Um, by people who are uh, trans and getting transformed healthcare, um, and so providing a pathway for uh, healthcare um, and compelling providers to provide that healthcare, like not letting providers opt out of treating trans patients, um, is part of the uh, Medicare for All fight. And some of these things you can you, you can you can legislate. You can say that doctors can't turn away patients for reasons of uh, of, of um, being trans. That was a component of the ACA, making transitus a protected class uh, for medical care. I think you want to continue that. I think you want to expand the defi definition of protected classes. But also, I think you want to, you want to provide pathways that um, let a person receive care that is perhaps not, quote unquote, medically required, but is medically approved by, uh, the, the, by the patient and their doctor working together. Nice. I, I just want to say it's so awesome to hear you talking about gender confirming surgery. I'm, I'm trans as well. And, um, that is when we were talking about Medicaid, Medicare Advantage, trans healthcare is not covered by Medicare. I'm in Oregon, thank goodness. And I can get healthcare and I can have surgery and do other stuff that I need to do here. Um, but right now, 
I mean, you know, the Trump administration is doing everything they can to strip the rights away of trans people and, and try to write us out of existence, which will never happen because we're born every day and we will continue to be born every day and we will always be here. Um, but, you know, they're, you know, they're trying to create these policies. So um, trans health care, long term health care, all there's so many things, you know, one of one of the things of somebody who's on Medicare, say you're very, very ill, you get you win your Social Security, like all, you get, you won your case in two weeks, which almost never happens. But it does happen for some. You don't have medical transportation. There's no medical transportation for Medicare clients in Oregon. You have to have Medicaid to get medical transportation. So, there, you know, there's all these, you know, these are parts of the social determinants of health as well. It's just like, well, how do you get to the doctor? Well, you have to rely on this bus and you have to pay out of pocket and, da -da -da, you know, all these things. Portland is, you know, we do okay here, but most places it's just like, well, then you can't go to the doctor. Yeah. I feel like our healthcare system is essentially designed to disgust everyone as much as possible to not use it. <laughs> I, I really believe that. Like, uh, maybe disgust is not quite the appropriate word, but just uh, uh, annoy and turn off, I mean, turn off and dis disincentive. And if you call it a spectrum, annoy maybe on one <laughs> right. end and disgust on the far other far end, then yeah, it's somewhere in between there. I had a question for Tim because I know we only got a couple more minutes with him. Yep. Tim, have you ever heard of Tommy Douglas? Uh, that name was familiar, but I can't think of why. Uh, Tommy Douglas is known as the, the father of Medicare for All in Canada, and he's actually known as the greatest Canadian as well. He brought to Saskatchewan, he brought plumbing, he brought um, electricity. He was just, a, he, women were not allowed in bars, and he changed that law. So he was a very just, he, he was a Baptist minister, actually, and then he got into politics. And um, and they they called him a Bolshevik, a socialist, and all this stuff, and tried to. And there's there's kind of this epic battle of how Medicare was won in Canada. Um, but one of the most exciting things about Tommy Douglas um, is that he that I find really exciting, and I hope that Tim, I don't know if you, you'll look into him or not, but he he would tell jokes, and I have been really looking forward to to finding more ways to get more people involved um and and i feel like humor is a way of of maybe edging in you know people that might not otherwise be interested so i just i wanted to ask you about him and you know maybe we'll send you a link or something like that um but yeah he was oh i'd love that yeah uh tim were, were, were you ever a fan of the lost boys <laughs> the film <laughs> uh, i don't think i've seen it i've, I've seen like three movies <laughs> okay. Have you, ever, have you ever seen the 70s invasion of the body snatchers? Is that one of the three? Uh, I know I should have, but... Uh, Tommy Douglas's grandson played the right, evil right. vampire in Lost Boys. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? His son played yeah. the... Uh, his son is Donald Sutherland, who played the uh, protagonist of both uh, the 70s Invasion of the Body Snatchers, also of MASH. Captain Hawkeye Pierce, I had a Twix about you. It seems that you stole a Jeep up at headquarters. No, 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 sir. No, I didn't steal a Jeep. No, it's uh, right outside. Right there. Oh, so it is. Uh, Captain... Anyway, it's... it's um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know what's cool is his mom. So Kiefer Sutherland was his grandson. And yeah, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland is his grandson. And um, his mom, they moved down from Canada to L.A. And they got involved with the Black Panthers. And they were like working hand in hand with the Black Panthers and stuff. And so anyway, I found a documentary on YouTube. And it was like she got some 
bullshit court charges that she was going to and Tommy flies in from Canada and you know it's it's a whole <laughs> thing so anyway he's he's great and we'll send you a link he's just somebody that you know yeah that rules might be a kid <laughs> yeah. um I guess that's a that's a hell of a family yeah I, I will say I do I do know Don, Donald Sutherland as playing the father in Kate Bush's music video for cloud busting that's my primary <laughs> experience to the uh, the the that family nice oh adam real quick yeah i have i have one more question uh and it's a massive one but um <laughs> sure why but, not well first first of all i i love the book it was i i feel like something that i've been looking for for a while which is like a popular policy book that mm-hmm. is that ends i think or that is pointed in the right direction you know a lot of these books like you point out um, they 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 diagnose the problem well, but they don't actually steer us in the right direction. And this book um, uh, does that, and it's also really fucking funny. I'm, I think I'm the first person to swear, which is um, yeah, shocking on this to yeah. swear, shocking shocking on this show. Yeah, oh, we didn't tell you the rule where like we don't swear until I, I think one I got one in early. Oh, okay. oh, that's what I it is. <laughs> Shit. Um, but no, I love the book, and and I hope that you sell millions of copies. And I wish that were all that we had to do, but I'm. Wondering what you think about how we build the movement that's going to win single payer and Medicare for all that's going to win health justice in the broadest sense possible. And I know that is a massive question. Uh, but what's your take on that? <laughs> sure. So I have, I have guesses, but I can't claim that I know, right? I know a lot about health policy, but I don't necessarily know a lot about uh, uh, how you win a, a, a mass movement. Um, I will say that the, it's not enough to simply elect the right people. Right. That's where the work kind of like begins, but it, it, it's insufficient. Every single time that like the well-meaning senators and the well-meaning policy people and the well-meaning union heads or whatever have kind of come against, I think I wrote this in the book, have come against uh, health reform, they've lost because the establishment is reactionary and can outspend and outmaneuver uh, anybody. Yep. Um, the thing it can't outgun is mass organization, mass mobilization. That's right. Um. And so I, I posit, and I could be wrong, but I posit that the only way to win is to win whatever you can locally and, and, and build from there. Kind of the Al Davis model of, uh, of movement building. Just win, baby. Um, find the thing you can win and win it and, and, and build, catapult yourself from there. And that can take on all different, different kinds of forms. It can be electoral. It can be independent of, 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 of the electoral movement. It can be ballot initiatives. Can be building a, a, a separate institution like at home that 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 can that can turn out people. I'm thinking of like Chinatown and, and San Francisco, um, but I don't know. You know, I I I I don't have a, a concrete answer. But I know it's not going to be just through. Um, I like Bernie Sanders, and I'll vote for him. It's not going to be just through voting Bernie Sanders. Uh, it's going to be through what comes beyond voting for uh, people like Bernie Sanders. You know, Bernie, not me, us. <laughs> yeah, God, it's a horrible Bernie. Sorry. <laughs> That's not bad. That wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you've been listening to or watching or digging on that? Because we always ask guests oh, what to recommend something or give an endorsement or there's something some some folks would check out. What have you been digging on lately that you think more people should know about? Hmm. I've been on an R. Stevie Moore kick for a while. Um. You guys know R. Stevie Moore? Mm-mm. No, He's sir. He's this legendary like underground uh, uh outsider artist guy put together a lot of like the dude puts out like an album a year for the past 40 years. One of those guys, you go to his band camp and it's impossible to maneuver because it just, you have to scroll through 
dozens and dozens and dozens of albums. And like most of his stuff is pretty good. He puts out a he, he put out a record. I mean, he probably put out a record this year already. Um, I would say look up a track. What's it called? One second. Let me, let me go to Spotify and see what I have saved. How do you spell his name? The tr- R. Stevie Moore. R. Dot Stevie. S. T. E. V. I. E. Moore. M. O. O. R. E. Um, he's got this. Yeah, he's got this track. Uh, I've begun to fall in love, which he's recorded three times over the, over the past forty years, and uh, each of them is pretty good. Nice. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> I want to listen to this. Excellent. So once again, uh, you will be in. You'll be at Powell's in Portland on Thursday, September twenty sixth. And if folks can get in touch with you, and want to find out more about the book. Where can they go? Sure, I'm on Twitter at Krulge, C R U L G E. It's a nonsense word, and uh, my email is tim.faust at gmail.com. You can just email me whatever. Sweet. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks again for your time. And uh, thanks again for the book. It's a great book. Um, it's one of those things where, I mean, I've read it and it's like I need to get a physical copy to physically browbeat others into reading if need be. So, <laughs> thank you. Well, I'm glad you like it. I really, I really appreciate that. Excellent. Uh, any, uh, any final words for our guests before he's got to go? I just want to say thanks as well. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, and uh, Party World uh, Wrestling Forever. So That's right. And with warm. And we're going to send you the clip for, or if you want to look it up, Tommy Douglas, look up Mouseland. That's a okay. good one to start with. All right. Cool. Cool. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. All right. Take care. Yep. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Let's ta- let us lovely. Let us let's take a break. And if we want to we talk about local things, we can do that. But yeah, let's. Uh... I But if you go over that two thousand dollar limit, they will not give you your social security for. I mean, it's another way. Well, so this is what. Yeah, we we technically. I think we want this on the. We want. We should probably record this bits. But yeah. Oh. Aren't we recording? We? Uh, your mic is off. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Now say <laughs> say all that again. <laughs> Ver- talk, verbatim, everything you just said. Um, I can say some of it again. Incorrect. <laughs> Start over. All right, and coming. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, hey, everyone. We're uh, back from a small break. Uh, the rest of us here, uh, Tim had to go off because he's uh, he's uh, he's off traveling. You know, he's off spreading the word, about, uh, spreading the good word about the uh, the health justice to the countryside, and all points uh, in between. So the rest of us are here uh, to finish up our chat. And uh, Nico, uh, let us uh, bridge off of what you were saying. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, Tim was talking about how, uh, you know, people have to get divorced, they have to sell their houses and all this stuff. And so I was talking a little bit more about what that's like for a person on disability. So basically, when you when you have all these medical needs, the, the government, you know, they're keeping track of how much you cost. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they keep their tally. And, and if you have, so when you pass away, say you have a house. The government will take your house and they will say, we need this house to pay for your health care. We already paid for your health care. Now you're going to pay us back. Um, there's another thing that happens called ABLE accounts for people who are disabled because you can't have more than $2,000 to your name if you're disabled. If you have more than $2,000 in your bank account, uh, you won't get your Social Security for the month. At least for people who are younger who are disabled. And so they set up this thing called ABLE accounts. There's many of them all over the country now. And they say, look, you can save up to $100,000 and we won't penalize you for it. You can put it in this ABLE account. My partner and I started doing research. And what we found out is when you die, they take all the money that's in the ABLE account and the same justification to pay for your health care. Some weird, yeah. like a weird ass, like even worse uh, asset forfeiture. Because in, in like what, like asset forfeiture, at least they don't take it from you when you're, uh, you know, after you've passed. Oh, look, someone decided to join us. Another cat. Do you ever wonder, like, why we aren't out <laughs> just like burning cars and like tearing? I wonder I that mean, all the goddamn I know, I, time. I, I, uh, I can, I can, why? I can tell you exactly why not. It's let's say as a as a let's say it was, it was a indirect result of the drug war. The drug war happened. All of a sudden. Millions got poured into into uh, civil police departments, and they started getting ex-military hardware. Yep, that's a that's, good point. And that's part of the austerity neoliberal, you know, agenda, right? Is defund everything except for the cops and, and the military. Well, I'll say though, like, so I lived in France for several years, which has a very very good healthcare system, um, and also a very militarized police force. In fact, the police is part of the military. Um, but uh, the gendarme, you know, people are for what it's worth, people. People do burn cars. People take over the streets, yeah, um, and it and it it wins. And I don't know if that can only win in the context of a country like France. Um, uh, and it's it's won less and less. I, th- I feel like recently, but I I don't know. I just I wonder why people. We hear these yeah. stories, like you're telling yeah. me these stories, and like yeah. I feel like I I knew some of that in the back of my head, but I didn't know all. Yeah, of it. the details of it. But yeah. it also just makes me wonder, like, what the fuck? Why the fuck why are, are we just tearing yeah. shit up? Like, yeah. Well, and and for me, I'm thinking about, okay, so, you know, I mentioned I'm transgender. um, So one of the experiences of being a transmasculine person, for many of us, we go through the wrong puberty and we end up with stuff we don't want and don't need. (laughs) And so I I had to wear... uh, I had a really large chest, and so I wore a binder for many years, which is something that transmasculine people and some non-binary people do to minimize the appearance of, of a larger chest. When there are certain things that happen, it's just like you, you can feel it hit. You know what I mean? Like when AOC started saying concentration camps, all of a sudden, and I don't know, maybe Betsy can tell me about this, but there were there were all these Jewish groups that were out protesting about concentration camps. You know, there are these these spark moments that happen, and it just it hasn't happened here yet for some reason. Of course, everybody thinks in Portland that you know there must be like riots every day or something <laughs> well, if there are not yeah it, <laughs> just well, to clarify my dad, my dad thinks that i basically live in like belfast 1971 <laughs> like uh 
It's so funny. He came for my wedding last year. And he was like, it was, he was very freaked out by this city. Yeah. Poor, yeah. poor fella. Yeah, I mean, well, people don't want to come visit because they're they're scared to come here, riot. which yeah. is just it's very. Str- I was speaking at a at a Medicaid national Medicaid thing over at the convention center, and I met this this um, like straight white cisgendered lady from indiana and she was like well i'm a christian and i was scared to come out to portland and i was just like are you kidding me like it is still dominant culture capitalism here well we do have that we (laughs) do have that sign where it has the the daily count of christians murdered (laughs) so we should probably take that down (laughs) or the fuck net (laughs) no unfortunately it's it's more people you know it's people of color who are Right. You know, and disabled people. So, so when I think about that question, yeah. I feel as if they're buying us off. That people have there somehow... Yep. Ex- two things. People are so beaten down by this means testing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, one out of four Oregonians is on OHP. Yep. And... W- that's the Oregon Health Plan for uh, out-of-state Oregon Health Plan, um, Medicaid. And when it's threatened, I mean, we're not seeing a lot of mobilization. Most people still have coverage. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crappy coverage. We fall through the cracks, but we have many people. And then the other thing has to do with this whole being beaten down by means testing yeah that somehow you don't deserve something yeah you you have yeah, you, you, know? can't, you can't you can't just give it people that you have you have to either earn it or by dint right. of suffering show you right. are more you are morally absolutely yeah you are morally good enough At, to accept us otherwise you're just you know just you're, you're taking advantage you're a slacker you're taking advantage of the system right yeah. so i mean should we have people who are on medicaid have a savings account? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the government says no. Right what, right. what kind of crap is that? Yeah. Right. That people, that we all somehow accept that. Yeah. I, it, it is, and it is totally absurd. I mean, when you hear people, you know, like, oh, I've been married for three years. I've never spent a single night alone with my partner. Um, you know, or we can't get married because I'll lose half my benefits. Right. And, you know, and you start hearing about these details. But it's like, you know, if you're brown and black, especially if you're visibly brown and black or you've got a different name or whatever, then you're, you know, then maybe you're trans and queer and then uh, disabled. On top of it, you know, we talk about intersectionality. And when I think about it, it's like the more intersections you're straddling, the more likely it is that you're going to fall through the cracks sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's where a lot of us end up. And we have been sold this story that we have to have our boot, our boot on our neighbor's throat mm-hmm. in order to fight over what there is when you know it's total bullshit, it's total bullshit. and um and i just i think you're right i think that there are a lot of people who who are who are comfortable mm-hmm. right now but you know as i'm i'm so as i'm like sort of integrating some of this stuff that we're talking about i'm reading a great book right now called um disability incarcerated mm-hmm. and it goes through the Brit- prison uh prison um movements throughout the centuries and things like that and it's just very interesting to me about how you know prison is the scariest place everybody thinks about being right or on the street right and that this is 
this whole thing, and, and I'm kind of, maybe this is half stewed so far, but <laughs> it's, no, it's no, just tr- this. Don't no, trust me. We, we, this is the home yeah, of half yeah. stewed. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is, we're, this is podcasting. It's don't, you know, never, okay, never have right. any worry about that whatsoever. Okay. All right. Well, this, this whole idea of, because when prisons first started, they, they didn't, they basically would say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna kill the the savage quote savage part of this person and bring the man forward." Penitentiary, right? To, right yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Prison yeah. was a step forward. It was a progressive. I don't know if this. I, am I? Am I no, ruining go, yeah. your? No, 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 no. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. No, I just read that somewhere. I don't even remember where, but that that prison was like thought by policymakers of the time. You know, in the whatever mid to late eighteen hundreds, uh, 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 when when the real impetus towards it came about it was this like wow isn't this so much better than just murdering the the uh the the the, the bad people you That's, know what i mean yeah so so in the early days it was poor houses that they would put you in a poor house and that's where the yeah. prison system kind of evolved from and um as i understand it but but early prisons in this country especially and i'm sure in many other countries people of color were not in prisons because they would just, like you said, they would just murder somebody or, you know, destroy them out in the street, and that was that. Mm-hmm. So they they didn't see people of color and other populations as being worth put to put in prison because prisons were about reforming someone. Right. And then that person could be come back and and be a, a good person and this and this and, and this. And you had to be part of the. You had to right. be in the VIP tent to start. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so now it's you know now that that technically slavery is not. A thing, even though what is it? The Thirteenth Amendment says it is if you're in prison. Does your right? yeah, rather than so you know, it's just it's interesting to to be learning more about prison abolition because I feel like what the work that Alan and I are doing at Real Choice Initiative, that's what we're doing. We're busting people out of yeah. these institutions, and it feels more and more like we're doing prison abolition work. Mm-hmm. And and when we get there and we meet these people and talk with them about what's going on, and then it's like, wow, the state is paying fifteen thousand dollars a month for you to be in this shit and be treated like this really like this is yeah but so i i have a qu- question Please. actually no, for, every, mic. for for everybody um you know adam says how come we're not out in the streets doing this yeah what burning cars Burning cars. Burning cars. <laughs> Burning cars. Specifically. Burning cars. <laughs> rhetorically speaking. Yeah, rhetorically. We would parody, never... Parody, parody, so parody, parody. We would oh, never... That's, that's um, violence. Tell people to so, do property damage, right? No, yeah. of course yeah, not. No, property of damage is not. the worst. But, but the, <laughs> the question... Locking people up and killing them. The violence real, is much worse, but... The real that's for squares. is, how do we build the movement that has enough passion and enough energy... To make this happen, that that's that's, that's the question. That's the real trick. Now, my my answer I mean, is yeah. humor. <laughs> Tommy Douglas did it in Canada. We can do it here. We've got to get people engaged with us. And and I'm sorry, but us ranting and yelling and you know all of this stuff is just like, oh my god, I'm fucking tired. You know what I mean? Everything's yeah. already so hard. But if it's but if we if we used humor and it was fun people might actually want to get involved and that's we wouldn't have to burn cars hopefully you mean unless it's really <laughs> unless it's funny and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but then there's yeah that's a really interesting point and i don't like i don't disagree with you i think like the tim faust book that's a great example and i'm sad that he can't be here to hear us saying nice things about him but, <laughs> but I'll, book, I'll, I'll send him the rough cut uh, yeah, later yeah, yeah yeah but there's some there's some really funny passages from that book and so that makes 
uh, to your point, Nico, that it, um, that humor can do a lot. Yeah. But I also wonder, like, as we organize actions with the Medicare for All campaign, we, we've been talking about this recently, like, um, you know, there's one thing that activists have done is uh, they'll go out with these, like, plastic butts that they put on, you know, with hospital robes that go over them. And, and, and one of our, right. And it's funny, but one of our activists was pointing out like, okay, but that's punching down. That's making, that's making oh, fun of people in hospital robes who, who have to, oh, who have to deal re- with a very real, I didn't realize the very hospital. real, yeah. uh, uh, stigma of yeah. walking around in a hospital. Robe. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the slogan is Medicare for all, or sorry, uh, privatized healthcare doesn't cover your butt, which, you know, it's funny, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so we're having this that, debate, yeah. like how, how do we do this? How do we, it's hard. Like, how do you handle your messaging yeah. in a way that, yeah, that captures people's attention? Maybe that's funny, but that also is not, you know, dour and turning people off in activistism, right? Yeah. Turning, but, turning into like, well, not campus, campus activist types, but that's true. But also on the other hand, not like, uh, you know, undermining what is a real threat, you know, uh, violence that's done to people. So I just have to say this because you just said the thing about the butts, which I did laugh at. Um, <laughs> you have to, we have to learn who to make, who, yeah. who to not be the butt of the joke or who should be the butt of the joke. Right. 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 So, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately and trying to figure out how to incorporate these things and how to just in every day, like, you know, and I'm talking to somebody and I'll just throw something out and see how it plays. And one of my favorite things to do is make fun of rich people. Yeah. Everybody laughs. We, th- we think it's hilarious. I'm like, Hey gosh, wow. We talk about rich people and we talk about mental illness, but why doesn't anybody realize that rich people are just hoarders? We just don't call it that because of their cars and their houses and their restaurants or golf course. I don't know what rich people have jewelry, something, whatever. <laughs> Islands. They, they date, but they're hoarding. They're they, disease. They, they're yeah. hoarding well. They date grimes. Right, but but <laughs> but then ultimately, you know, do I want to make a a joke at the? You know, I don't want to stigmatize hoarding. Yeah. But I do want to stigmatize rich people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how to do it yet, but I'm working yeah. on it. it it's it's, it's it's a hard business because uh, I feel like they they keep talking about it on Chapo. Uh, I don't know if anyone listens to Chapo, but they no, like, no yeah, none of us here, yeah. Uh, this, yeah. But one of the things they keep talking about, and they're you know they're very vulgar and and and. Uh, but one of the things they keep talking about is like why like why can't we make fun of people who suck like you know what I mean? like, <laughs> like they're having a you know and and it's 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 hard to know how to make fun of people yeah uh but, in- but there's other ways to do humor too when sure. when Nico was talking about not being able to have the savings account yeah you could have a whole stand up routine yeah about you know where you put the money and who says you can't right. do it I'll write it into and, the bit. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that's that that's where I'm of, going with it, yeah. right? Because I think that I can see that um, you know when we talk, so we talk about capitalism. One of the key components of capitalism is eugenics. Mm-hmm. Is every everybody here familiar with eugenics? Yeah. Should I say something about it? Maybe for people who don't know on the show, uh, it couldn't hurt at some point. Yeah, a little bit of uh, a brief descriptor and okay. also a little uh, of of theory plus history, if you okay. will. All right. So a little bit about eugenics is. Essentially, it is a, quote, study <laughs> that has been around for hundreds of years that basically tries to, to use science to say that certain people are not um, as human as other people, right? So this is where we get ableism. This is where we get racism. 
This is where we get sexism. This is where so many transphobia. This is where so many of the the, the things that that are just you know horrible things that happen in our culture, they come from eugenics. And then you add you add imperialism to it, which is you know saying okay, well here's the pecking order. These are the people that are on the bottom. They're going to be the easiest ones to pick off, and they're my competition, so let's go for it. That's imperialism, right? A fancy word for bully. So those, to me, those are the two things that make up... that. Those are the main components of capitalism, eugenics and imperialism. And... Oh, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> well, well, you're talking. You're, yes. you're getting into the, the theory of the theory of, of eugenics, but also a little bit. Of, do we want to talk about the little bit of a, of the history of eugenics? Well, I, I will say something that I heard on the radio, or it was on Democracy Now! Actually, just last week. Hey, hey, people listening, if you haven't checked out Democracy Now!, you should totally <laughs> check it out because they are awesome and uh, one of the only great news sources that I, that I trust now. Um, but uh, they had somebody on there that was talking about the history of racism and in institutions and um, around testing. I can't remember the guy's name in the book. I'll have to look it up. Give me a minute. Ibram uh, uh, something. Ibram X. Kendi wrote right. a book. Uh, he won the 2016 National Book Award for Nonfiction for his book Stamped from the Beginning, the definitive history of racist ideas in America, uh, published by Nation Books. Yeah, yeah. So he was on Democracy Now. I think it was last week, and uh, he was talking about standardized testing. And I would argue, no. The problem isn't with these test takers. The problem is with the tests themselves. These are tests that were created by eugenicists. When you look at the person who created the SAT test, when you look at the person who first popularized the IQ test in the United States, these were avowed eugenicists. And I didn't realize this. I was a, I used to be a school teacher, and I have always I remember writing a huge paper about how horrible standardized testing is, and how many people with disabilities and people that don't even have disability or know that they have disabilities yet are affected by these tests. Anyway, he talked a little bit about the history of these. SAT and the SAT if I remember correctly was designed by it was like a Yale or Princeton professor and it was set up to be the research it was set up to be the data to prove that white people yeah I know I don't even have to finish the sentence but that's where the SAT comes from that we're still using today it was set up to to be a eugenics he was a eugenicist the sorter yeah yeah well I mean Lewis Terman for instance who who wrote a century ago, this book called, in which he sort of sought to promote this new IQ test that he had brought over uh, from Europe. In that, in that book, he talked about that these tests will prove that black people are intellectually inferior. I mean, it, this was the hypothesis that he put forth in a book that promoted the original IQ test a century ago. And Carl Brigham, who essentially established the SAT test a decade later in the 20s was a eugenicist from Princeton. I mean, these are eugenicists who created these tests not just to prove that Latinos and black people were inferior to white people, but also to prove that women were genetically intellectually inferior to men, that poor people were genetically intellectually inferior to wealthy people, that Southerners, I mean, everyone, that non-Anglo-Saxons were intellectually inferior to Anglo-Saxons. And, and, and so the, this test became the evidence that they had been looking for, really for hundreds of years to prove that people of color and poor people and women were intellectually inferior. 
Yeah. Damn. Uh, fun note. Their justification. Um, yeah. Does anyone know after they had after I think I, I think feel this, like you just his I'm mind just, is blown right just now. Hold on, he's like hold on a right here. <laughs> no, like, I know That's about awesome. eugenics and all this stuff, but I've never heard that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The interview they did last week on Democracy Now. Great. I'll, I'll Look, check it out. Worth looking out. Um, yeah. But with yeah with Ibram X Kendi K E N D I. Uh, uh, fun factoid. Does anyone know what SAT stands for now? What's it? Not what it, what they originally said, but what it stands for now. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Not the scholastic aptitude. It, it I want has been the scholastic aptitude test. You're right. It doesn't stand for anything now. They had to change the name. It doesn't matter. It's it's literally just SAT because it, they proved it in court. <laughs> Uh, and I might uh, I might be completely wrong, it is, but it is neither standard nor app. Who cares? Yeah, Let's uh, laugh at them anyway. <laughs> As y'all are uh, representatives of various local organizing slash activist groups, can we can you opine about how uh, folks in the in the in the viewing audience, be they local or global, because we do have. Was that Estonia? No, we had. There were some Estonians. Yeah. Yes. Um, cool. Uh, SoundCloud. They're probably uh, Americans in Estonia. That too, or they have really good VPNs. Um, I'm sorry if you're nat- natural born Estonians. I'm sorry. <laughs> Garrett apologizes. Um, although how they discovered the show, I would they like to pr- actually, probably skip the episode. Actually, with yeah. Me. If yeah, if it, no, come to think of it, if you are in Eastern Europe or Singapore or even South Korea and you are listening to the show, uh, email the show at givingthemic at gmail dot com. Let us know how you f- how the hell you found us. But anyway, uh, there <laughs> and are also f- hey <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but as I say, can, well, so we have we have listeners everywhere. Uh, can you uh, can can y'all talk about? Or offer suggestions of how people who are really listening to this, who want to get inv- if they are if they are not already, want to get involved locally in their locale anywhere from, like you know as spread apart as you know as Augusta, Maine to Flint, Michigan to uh, to um, to Great Falls, Montana to like where you know to Lodi, California like where you know whoever the person listening give suggestions or kind of like even tips of like if they want you know if they want if they want to do something and like how to ways to find ways to to plug in all right who wants to go first (laughs) i can a little bit um so nationally um national nurses united has a medicare for all campaign you can just do a, a google search and there's events happening in many states and many places and they are are really great um here that's where i would start nationally Um, I would want to put out a plug here in Portland that in October we are going to have the National Single Payer Strategy Conference. This is a conference that moves all around the country, and it's never been in Portland before. So people are going to come from all around the country to Portland October 18th to 20th and just do a search for National Single Payer Strategy Conference. Thanks, Betsy. National... And, single pair yeah. conference. And um, I work with Portland Jobs with Justice, and we have a healthcare committee. Um, we support anybody's uh, employer healthcare that's being threatened, and we work for single payer. But we also connect that really in an intersectional way. I mean, we've come out to support um, 
right to survive our houseless friends um, and done things back and forth with them. And feel free to connect with us online. Right. Uh, a, a good URL to look up is um, healthcare-now.org. Mm-hmm. Adam? Yeah. Uh, well, depending on where people are at, um, I would say look up your local DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. I second that. Chapter. And and uh, get involved. Or if there is not one in your area, um, start one. There are... Uh, there are small chapters um, in small towns and rural areas of our state of Oregon and I think throughout the U.S., but there are areas where there are not chapters and you should totally start one. Um, reach out, look them up on, look us up online, um, and I'm sure there's a way you can reach out and figure out how to start a chapter. Um, locally, uh, with the Portland um, uh, DSA Medicare for All campaign, we are currently doing a lot of support work for our, our comrades in Clackamas County. Uh, <laughs> Working to bring attention to the fact that uh, Kurt Schrader from Oregon's fifth district is, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he <laughs> just kind of sucks in a lot of ways, um, and uh, one of the many ways that he sucks is that he's not a Medicare for All supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's like, wait, what? what? It's 2019. Come on, it's, and this is Oregon. Yeah, man, it is. Get it's, it together, man. It is. Get with it. So this the state <laughs> Democratic Party of Oregon supports Medicare for all. Yep. Almost every other uh, Democrat from the state, with the exception of Senator Ron Wyden, uh, supports Medicare for all. So, you know. Anyway, uh, we had in coalition with National Nurses United, we had a People's Assembly last month. We are working on a rally in front of Kurt Schrader's office on September sixth. Uh, at 3:45, this is his Oregon City office, which you can look up online. Or if, well, if this, is, if I'm not able to get this out before the sixth, because the sixth is soon. Shit. Well, do is. your best. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Jeremy. <laughs> hey, I record. You know, we we I deliberately That's recorded. two weeks away. Come on. <laughs> This, and plus, this is all perfect. You don't have to edit anything. <laughs> He's got you there, I know, dude. I, I know my production schedule. We still have. I mean, the uh, the Max album, the Max Elbaum episode I just put out. That took a, that that took me a month, and the DSA convention kind of threw a wrench into that because it pushed everything back by two months. I didn't know weeks. you interviewed Max Elbaum. Awesome. This this is why you should this folks this is why you subscribe Boom. unless you know I, right there that was the week of my cat died so I wasn't there oh, I was yeah. gonna be there for uh, Kevin and I talked to Max Kevin for says. God like two hours a Saturday morning and even told us stories because I asked him I'm like okay hey because um, he was a, Max was around when like the weathermen were were doing their shit and also we. Um, and he was in Flint, Michigan, for the War Council, the Flint War Council that the Weathermen called in December 1969, hmm. two weeks after the um, the Feds and the and the CPD assassinated Fred Hampton. Hmm. So people were, and this you know, and this is later in the year from the Manson family murders. So. Um, Max, as as you know, you know, I'll put in link and if I, you know, I'll probably include this wherever I'm recording. I'll recruit the, I'll include this after the music at the end of the episode. Um, he and his buddy, they they were in Madison, and Madison to Flint is 
between four and well, Chicago to Flint is four hours, so like you know six hours maybe. Uh, and they would draw out there, and because we also asked him if he had any Weatherman stories or any Bob Avakian stories, mm-hmm. and turns out his Weatherman story was his Bob Avakian story because Bob Avakian, <laughs> you know, the hallowed Bob, wherever to meet in his name, let there be a flag burned. Um, <laughs> uh, Bob was at that that meeting in December in Flint. It was actually one of the one, uh, and this is before the cult years. Was actually you know one of the most convincing organizers wandering around the hall that all the weathermen were doing their thing at, just talking to people and kind of and like slowly trying to talk them down from all the real crazy shit they were. Uh, I mean that was those was one of the events where like the weathermen were like oh we're approvingly quoting like Manson family killers and shit. Anyway, whoa, sorry, that's a, a, a bit of a tangent, but there you go, far out. No, that's <laughs> that's a great segue into. Whatever Nico's gonna say, <laughs> I, I, I was just like, "Whoa!" Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm like, I'm now I'm, I'm like remembering a documentary I saw about the Weathermen. I'm like, "Oh, the Weathermen, the <laughs> radical group. They like did some stuff." Okay, now okay, all right, I'm back. Not the disco hit group. No, the no, no. Girls. The Weathermen. There is yeah. a good doc. There is a decent documentary. Yeah, there's out there's there. a handful now, especially because of, yeah. Um, I can't. Even, I don't remember what the name of it is, but because I feel like there are going to be other people that might be listening that are going to be like, "Who the hell is he?" You know, what is he talking about? But the weatherman, check it out. Um, okay, so um, for people, I'm going to start here at home. For people who are in Portland, Real Choice Initiative is the name of the um, nonprofit that I volunteer for. We do a monthly independent living coffee hour for people with disabilities on the fourth Saturday of every month at 2 o'clock over at Community Vision on Southeast Division and 20th. We'd love to see you. Um, doing a lot of organizing. have had a lot of really great things happen this year and um, looking forward to connecting with, with more disabled people. Um, and then I would say if you have, you know, if you have a healthcare for all or some kind of organization in your state doing those things, but... My biggest pitch is going to be, and I'm going to do it because I'm I'm wearing the T-shirt anyway, that you should get involved with Bernie Sanders' campaign um, because he's all about that and a lot of other really great things. And um, my my pitch for Bernie is basically, yes, I wish he was further left on some stuff. However, he is anti-capitalist, and I think that's what we need. And he's the best. He's the best person that's got it. You know, he's he's got a shot. So um, please consider getting involved with Bernie's campaign. I'm going to do it. Yeah. You just could do yeah, yeah. th- That is one thing. That- <laughs> Wink. No. <laughs> I was on the fence. But- I, was, I was actually on the call. They had a call uh, today with Bernie on the phone for people that want. So, you, you know, there's calls. There's texting. You don't have to go talk to people, although talking to people is a thing. And it's, it's, most, it's probably the most effective, yeah. And, it, and it's Even actually, the Obama campaign found that It's not that, that bad. And, and actually, the thing is, is that you find, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to talk to people. It's scary. But then you start talking to people and you're like, hey, I kind of like talking to people. This isn't too bad. Phone calls are a little harder, I think, for some people. But, exactly. but yeah, just talking, just talking to people. Well, but you can text bank with Bernie. You can, There's all sorts of stuff you can do to be involved. So please consider. I have advice for those people. Go get a job doing collections. Because <laughs> I've done that shit. And, then, and you can fucking have a phone call and talk about anything. I just Yes, I should and you'll be like, I really want to do this because I don't want there to be a world where collections is a yes, thing Yes, no more collections. Uh, like people don't. I, I've, I'm, so I'm 38, and I talk to younger people, and they don't do 
I mean, I'm going to sound old saying this, but dude, I turned 43 last two weeks they, ago. But younger, <laughs> younger people don't do phone calls. They a lot of them, they don't do it, and they've the never phone. heard of landlines either, which I think is adorable. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we <laughs> Jeremy's a holdout. <laughs> well, we had a, we even had a thing during the uh, during our. Uh, God, well, I can't remember what the what, which episode it was. It was might have been the one with uh, with Eric Blanc when he was in town. That uh, Candy and I talked to him about uh, Red State's teacher strikes and our landline, which is over in the kitchen, was just ringing in there. Like, <laughs> just thought it was so quaint that we still had a landline. I'm like, well, it's technically for emergencies, I guess, because I, th- you know, anyway. I made a joke about it because it sounds like the phone in an office. It's like. Yeah, <laughs> I have which that, is, that's my ringer. On my yeah, see, that's, a, that's that's a default ringtone now too. We don't have like MIDI. You know, you can't have like a ringtone that's a like yeah, a remote like, song. TCO yeah. Corp, please hold. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Do do do. Wrapping things up, going around, the closest thing to a, uh, a regular segment on the show is called Endorsements and Recommendations. Uh, with all y'all here, is there anything you've been digging on that you would like other people to check out? Well, I, I already said it actually earlier to Tim. I am super into Tommy Douglas right now. He's funny and cool, and he got shit done in Canada. So I'm totally into him right now and I would recommend checking out a thing called Mouseland there's like a little there's a little cartoon snippet they did now the pacing is different because reality is different but give it a shot it's it's nice excellent uh, yeah um, so I don't have a lot of time these days but I did in addition to Tim Faust's book I recently read this book called The Antifa Comic Book by uh, Gord Hill um, and I picked that up at this at this anarchist bookshop in North Carolina, I can't remember the name of it. But do, you remember who, do you remember who published it? Was it like uh, AK or something? Or I can't remember. I wish I. Yeah, Give I don't know. Look it up. Um, but it's really good, and you know, I knew uh, maybe like a thimble full of that history, but but um, but it's really like a pretty well grounded historical um, just sort of survey of anti-fascist movements from, from uh, over the last century. The Antifa comic book, 100 Years of fan, uh, Fascism and Antifa Moments. Yeah. P.S. Movements from uh, uh, Gord Hill put out by Arsenal Pulp Press. There you go. P.S. Anti-fascists were fighting Nazis during World War II. Just, yeah. 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 I've <laughs> met some friends who have, their families were out there. They were Polish Jews. Yeah. And they, yeah. they had, this person had a little binder of art and other actions and things they did oh, like that during, How cool. yeah 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 so anti-fascist i mean hey if there's no fascism then we don't need to worry but and when there's fascism everybody's anti-fascist right do you want to recommend anything though a television program uh, or anything um, that you're into right now book that i'm in the middle of oh. reading we're so academic it's, oh it's, no books it's, it's not um political <laughs> really octavia's brood Anybody oh, know heard Octavia Butler? Holding it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sure. amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Black oh, science fiction. Oh, yeah, it's right, right, right. But it's by. Um, oh, no, he's good. Uh, Walida. Uh, Emma Risha, yeah, who is who teaches at PSU, right, and is largely responsible cool. for us popularly knowing about I, uh, I white nationalism in 
in Oregon. Anyway, it's a fun book of short stories. I, I've heard stuff. so many good things. Yeah. Wow, thank you, Betsy. Yeah. I'm going to remember that. Okay, uh, Garrett, do you have anything? Or? Type um, okay. I don't have much. I was just on the show, so I recommended. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-recommend, just because it's so goddamn good, Frank Zappa's first studio record. Frank Zappa. <laughs> Freak Out is so good. Does it have the peeing in the snow? No, that, I think that's a couple song? later, okay. but I don't I don't know. So okay. Frank Zappa's a new, I'm on a, uh, uh, right. this is a new journey for me. Wait a minute, uh, how old are you guys? <laughs> I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a, a year older than Nico. <laughs> yeah, I got a uh, millennial. <laughs> I got, hey, I got into Zappa the year after, um, I'm borderline. To, the, year, the year after he died, my fr- uh, freshman term, uh, Dr. Demento, because when I moved to Ann Arbor, I finally got access to Dr. Demento, did like in December 94, did like a memorial show and played, it was like almost nothing but Zappa. And I think I finally, I heard, jo- goddamn cat. I heard, <laughs> let's get that cat. I heard Joe's Garage for the first time, like, holy shit. And uh, some other stuff on there. And so that's how I got into Zappa. Nice. So, so that's my, I mean, I just like, it is the, like, it, I used to think that I just didn't care about music anymore and that record recently has made me be like I uh, like I wake up with a Frank Zappa song in my head almost every day cool. I feel like that's where uh, I'm at so I'm gonna listen to that yeah okay nice. try it okay. I mean try it it's it's uh, well, let's get in touch because like okay. if you have questions <laughs> well, it's, uh, there, there are there are many well, the thing about Zappa is there are many different eras I mean for one point at one point Steve Vai was his guitar player the, so it's it kind of it it comes and goes there's the different eras of Frank Zappa and then there's the fact that like he has this sort of humor that I find kind of like it can be off-putting, but if like I don't know, let's talk about it. Yeah, Tom. Anyway, <laughs> Tom Sharpling uh, hates his hates his humor. Yeah, yeah. Hates his I humor. find his humor a little obnoxious too. But anyway, now here's a new recommendation that is new for today. Um, it is uh, a short bit, a short. Uh, it's an academic article by Adolph Reed. You can find it for free, I'm sure, on the PDF called. Um, Marx, race, and neoliberalism. Oh, uh, it it just nice. I find that with people that like they're not they're not quite left, but they're like they're you know like like it's it's just a good it's a good basis to start getting a way of 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 thinking about um, how to talk about identity and Marxism, and mm-hmm. it actually ties actually what made me think about it, it's something that you brought up, and I don't recall that's Nico I'm pointing at. Uh, <laughs> oh hey! Oh, it was about eugenics. <laughs> oh yeah, and it was because he, he talks about that in, in the piece in that article as well, and um, talks about I don't know. You know what? Read it or don't. It's my it's it's my it's my recommendation. Marx, race, and neoliberalism by Adolf Reed Jr. And uh, last but not least, the only thing I would recommend is a, there's a new computer game out there called Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. If you ever want, uh, it is a game where you can be either um, you play a a widowed, a, uh, yeah, you play a kind of like a, a widow in her forties trying to get back at the the, the folks who um, murdered your husband. But you're also, you can either be a, uh, uh, you can either pilot a fighter or you can be a space trucker. And it is, it's very much a, uh, space trucker. Yeah, there's a lot, it's pretty much, it's, it is, it is trucking in space where you kind of, uh, you can kind of, it's, it's based on the, the previous, uh, Rebel Galaxy, which was much more, um, much more of kind of like, let's say Firefly only with like more rednecks. 
Is, is, it, <laughs> is it too late for me to recommend the song Space Trucking by Deep Purple? Because that's a, that's a pretty kick-ass song. Sure, why not? Put, it in, put it in right here, Jeremy. Is trucking in space more exciting than just trucking on Earth? Um, in, there are more active pirates, so probably. Okay. It's not just like all filling out bills of lading. And no, no, that's... <laughs> you remember... This is no, it's it's space, so it's fully all free made. on board destination. No, this is one of those games where like you have to like you have the option to like kind of ship contraband, but there are kind of okay. like you will occasionally get uh, there. They have like <laughs> yes, even in the future there are still cops, so you occasionally you have to they will like you know slow down citizen for a contraband scan, and if they scan you, I, if you I have like back, I yeah. had to hold back on that. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, it's the um, I don't like, but it's yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a great game. It's kind of like if you ever played Wing Commander or Privateer or any of the great like 90s arcadey like space shoot 'em ups it's a lot like that. Is it like Wing Commander meets Smokey and the Bandit? Uh, yes, it's, it's so it's pretty much it's much more of a, it's much more of a, a southern or much more like it's it's like if you remember if for any of you Gen Xer uh, computer game freaks if you remember Privateer only with like CB radios maybe or, or like you know Jerry Reed songs. He's but yeah, so uh, you guys are so over my head right now. All I can, I, I'm gonna say, it, fuck the. Just can't help yeah, myself. No, that's fine. So um, <laughs> this is an official. Yeah, I, I was like, should I say it? I don't know. Maybe no, you I should definitely say it. And 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 I did want to plug one more time. Go please. for it. Check out Democracy Now. They got a new show every day. <laughs> oh yeah, mm-hmm. you can, uh, both uh, weekdays, both in pod and on YouTube format. Check it out. <sighs> All right. Um, <laughs> well, this has been a hell of a recording. I want to thank everyone here and for their time. Um, this is you know now this is podcasting. Um, to quote a Jake, a Jake Lloyd character. Ta-da. Um, is there? Uh, I guess going around. Is there? Uh, if the, is there any? What, what contact information would y'all like to give for folks? Um, uh, yes, Garrett. I have none. Okay. Okay. Well, then everyone else, uh, contact info or ways that folks can get in touch with you to find out more of what you're working on. Or uh, now I'm like nervous to say because I just said what I just said, so I'm not. Well, <laughs> I'm like, maybe we should cut that out because I did endorse some other. Anyway, Jeremy will cut it out if you want. Yeah, I mean, fuck the. Also, like, I don't know that I should say that on a. Okay, okay, fine. I'll cut that part out. All right, God, thank God I'm not. I'm no, I'm a dirtbag. I'm a I'm a dirtbag podcaster. I am not a journalist. Now we have to cut out this part too. Right. Okay. All right. So what I was gonna say is, realchoiceoregon.com is where we're doing the organizing with people with disabilities. Love to hear from you. Uh, Portland Jobs with Justice Healthcare Committee. Just go on the web, find us. Um, the uh, DSA Portland Medicare for All campaign. You can reach us at uh, DSA M four the number four A at gmail dot com and and uh, the DSA Portland branch 
does have its general meeting coming up in September, and I was just looking for the date and time. It is, uh, as, of, as of this moment, it is still TBA. It is still TBA. So, normally the sec- second Tuesday, t- Tuesday, the second Sunday in every month, uh, the general meeting in, uh, in for the, uh, the Portland chapter. And we have been holding it recently at, uh, what's the movie theater? Cinema 21. Cinema 21. Mm-hmm. All right. Sweet. Is there a story behind that, by the way? Uh, it's, it helps to have a member who works there. Oh, okay. It also it also was actually really good to have there because the lighting was bad, but the sound was good, and the AC worked, and we were just down the street. And you're like, we could watch The Room after we're done? Uh, <laughs> they, they, well, they did advertise that, but we also, we were just down the street from the Blue Moon where everybody could reconvene afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I could like coll- I could talk to people and collect um, convention memories uh, from folks who had just attended the recent convention. Um, my contact information, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions for good uh, Korean places to eat in town, please email me at um, giving the mic at gmail.com M-I-C. If you're listening to this in somewhere in either like say, I don't know, Southeast Asia or Eastern Europe, sh- drop me a line. Let me know how the, how the hell did you possibly find this show? <laughs> uh, we do have a, we, like with Hey! Yeah. <laughs> Gonna like, do it every time. I just yeah, like with like like, like with many it. like with many leftist pods. We, we should do, isolate that just so you could play it from from time yeah, to time. And you yeah, literally a little iPad soundboard. Yeah, you just need like a special button that you. Oh build. my gosh, I would be so flattered. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, oh real quick, give me a clean one of those so I can isolate it. All right. Hey. Thank you. No, no. Give it some real oak this time. No, no, Everyone right. be quiet. Be take quiet. two. Take two. Okay. Uh, hey, yeah. Yeah. hey, girl, hey! Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, we uh, like with many leftist podcasts, we do have a Patreon. If you want, if for some reason you want to help support us, uh, keep putting this thing out, cover um, bandwidth, uh, bandwidth costs, and everything, and sharing, and also paying for sponsored Facebook posts, which is the only way that people actually find us anymore. Uh, feel free to go to patreon.com slash giving the mic. As little as a dollar a month, you can. Uh, uh, you can help, uh, as they say, the po- the revolution will be podcasted. Oh, nice. These and, cats ain't going to feed themselves. Right. Um, okay, and that's pretty much, it's been a hell of an evening. Uh, going around the room, does anyone have any final words they want to, uh, or final things they want uh, to, uh, to, to say to our viewing audience? Uh, go now. Um, you might have to become a Democrat to vote for Bernie in your state. Check it out. <laughs> Yeah, that's, this that's good. That's true. I mean, at some point, yeah, that's a lot practical of people, advice. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah, at some point, yeah, a lot of people don't want to do party identification, but at this point, it's like the the way because so many so many fucking uh, primaries are so jacked up now. I mean, it's, Oregon is fortunately not as bad as New York State, but you know who could but be. Oregon right? still sucks at that. It's, actually, yeah. we have to do that here. I think it's about thirty days. To change to become a yeah. Democrat, yeah. yeah. So you know, you primary. know, it's months and months and months. But I remember in New York, yeah. people were like, oh, "I want to vote for you, months. Bernie," but I couldn't. It was like it was I like, didn't even like know a, you were running six months. You know, whatever. So it was like it was like a year. It was some god awful. It was yes. Uh, it was please consider and don't do the whole. Well, I'll vote for him when he's running against Trump because he might not get there if you don't vote for him in the yeah, primary. That's the primary point. The primary is the problem, Check not the general. That's it. The primary right. is going to be it. He will totally. I mean. I mean 
I shouldn't say that either. <laughs> he would <laughs> he would beat him in a race. Yeah, <laughs> probably should got that too. <laughs> he would destroy him in a, a debate, certainly. Just for yeah, I'd love to see him play basketball. Or just I, I want to. I just want to debate. Just this is the thing we missed about for twenty sixteen. You don't just, know anything about a zone defense. <laughs> That was great. That just, I mean, Thank just, you. just for the, yeah. just for the competing accents of Brooklyn versus Queens. Oh. <laughs> um, anyone else have anything to, uh, to contribute, to contribute in quotes? Um, uh, well, yeah, uh, DSA is running a couple of great candidates. Um, Paige Christman is running in the 42nd. Friend of the uh, show. Yes, indeed. And Albert Lee is running in Oregon. What district? Uh, we're, we're, I live in it. Yeah, no, so. we're currently sitting in it. So yes, yes, it's this one. The it's one. It's this we're in. one. You know. Um, <laughs> also, I would just like to say that uh, he hasn't been officially endorsed by by the DSA, and I can only say this personally speaking. But uh, Mark Gamba is running against Kurt Schrader um, in nice. in Oregon Five, and is a supporter of the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. And you should totally check him out. Um, I think he's worth your attention. Uh, also up now let's uh, up now the up now campaign is uh, a a campaign that DSA uh, is working on to um, provide uh, uh, universal pre-k yes thank you um, and you should get involved with that as well because that is fucking awesome what they're doing and we need it desperately sweet I guess I might as well give a shout out to where I was yesterday which was a police accountability event. Oh yeah. Shit, there, that was yesterday, wasn't my it? Yeah. Was at that. Um hmm? oh. my mother-in-law was at that. <laughs> but thank you um, for going. There's some good organizing happening on several channels including thinking ahead to the police um unions contract. And there are even Portland Jobs with Justice is actually getting on board to try to navigate some for that from a progressive point of view, which is kind of big and new. Because even people who like the police are afraid of them. (laughs) (laughs) They do. Watch how they drive around cops. I'm serious. (laughs) They're like, my brother's a cop. Oh, shit. (laughs) Well, well, more how not to get um, really think that the police union is a real union, which it isn't. So yeah. we can we can fight them. I'm, deb- uh, so. I'm seriously considering or debating like if we want to do an entire episode about that kind of stuff, or would that would that target target us even more? I don't think it's not like anybody actually listens to this thing, so why not? But I don't know. But I was there in October twenty. We might lose the Estonian contingent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some people could talk about that. That shit was awful. What are you talking about? I'm sorry. The, uh, I interrupted the, the October 2016 thing when they threw us out of City Hall, I was there. Yes. So, yeah. I think the only 2016 thing I had cops was at the the black uh was the the BLM march where the chuckle fuck drew his Glock on the oh, yeah, on the that. on the marchers and I just looked over and like that one I was actually there for but that's another story. All right, uh, thank you, um, ladies and gentlemen and folks. Uh, not uh, uh, not selecting that particular binary, non-binary. Yeah. Thank you for listening, viewing, joining. Um, check out Tim Faust's book, Health Justice. It will by the it should be available by the time you hear this. Um, you can order it through many different places. 
places. I recommend uh, ordering it through a particular website. Um, Powell's is the Powell's is a union-run bookstore in the heart of Portland, Oregon. If you go to the union that the that the bookstore uh, that the 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 workers there have, which I believe is ilwulocal5.com/support, there's a link on there that'll take you through. If you uh, you follow the link and you you purchase something through Powell's, seven point five percent of every online sale contributes to the the union's strike fund. So again that is I L W U Local Five That much? Yeah. I L U I L W U Local Five dot com slash support. Follow the link through there to uh to purchase Tim Faust's book Health Justice Now, Single Payer and What Comes Next by Timothy Faust. Alright, and with and with that, good night everyone and we're out. That's that. Oh, Jeremy, Jesus Christ. Ah, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It's a place called Mouseland. Mouseland was a place where all the little mice lived and played, were born and died, and they lived much as you and I do. They even had a parliament. And every four years they had an election. They used to walk to the polls and cast their ballots. Some of them even got a ride to the polls. Got a ride for the next four years afterwards, too. <laughs> Just like you and me. And every time on election day, all the little mice used to go to the ballot box and they used to elect a government. A government made up of big, fat, black cats. Now, if you think it's strange that mice should elect a government made up of cats, you just look at the history of Canada for the last 90 years, and maybe you'll see that they weren't any stupider than we are. Now, I'm not saying anything against the cats. They were nice fellows. They conducted the government with dignity. They passed good laws. That is, laws that were good for cats. But the laws that were good for cats (laughs) weren't very good for mice. One of the laws said that mouse holes had to be big enough so a cat could get his paw in. (laughs) Another law said that mice could only travel at certain speeds. So that a cat could get his breakfast without too much physical effort. All the laws were good laws for cats. But all they were hard on the mice. And life was getting harder and harder. And when the mice couldn't put up with it anymore, they decided something had to be done about it. So they went en masse to the poles. They voted the black cats out. And they put in the white cat. The white cat, the white cat had put up a terrific campaign. They said all that mouse land needs is more vision. They said the trouble with mouse land is those round mouse holes we've got. If you put us in, 
We'll establish square mouthfuls. And they did. And the square mouse holes were twice as big as the round mouse holes. And now the cat will get both his paws in. And life was tougher than ever. And when they couldn't take that anymore, they voted the white cats out and put the black ones in again. And then they went back to the white cats and then to the black cats. They even tried half black cats and half white cats. And they called that coalition. <laughs> they even got one government made up of cats with spots on them. They were cats that tried to make a noise like a mouse, but they ate like a cat. <laughs> you see, my friends, the trouble wasn't with the color of the cat. The trouble was that they were cats. And because they were cats, they naturally looked after cats instead of mice. Presently, there came along one little mouse who had an idea. My friends, watch out for the little fellow with an idea. And he said to the other mice, look, fellas, why do we keep on electing a government made up of cats? Why don't we elect a government? made up of mice. Oh, they said he's a Bolshevik. Lock him up. <laughs> so they put him in jail. <laughs> but I want to remind you that you can lock up a mouse or a man, but you can't lock up an idea. At some point, I'm, I'm seriously considering doing an entire. We do it. We do an entire episode talking to like Timber's Army people, and even getting some like some like Seattle supporters on the line in, and just talk about how like they are actively fighting uh, fucking um, Major League Soccer's hmm. uh, prescription against like Iron Front Three Arrows shit. And it's um, it's an interesting radicalization vector. I only hope that the you know a lot of the football fans are hooking up. You know who are getting pissed off by this stuff. It's like hopefully somebody they know. You know, is at least um, it's like here. Here's a book. You know, here's a uh, you know. <laughs> Wait, so we should go to games with literature and just start handing to, it out. Yeah, to be like yeah. anti-fascists are your friends. So they're trying yeah, to use anti-fascists and anti-cap uh, <clears throat> literature, like zines or something. So they're using anti-fascist symbols for a football team. The um, the there's in fact there's a thing. It's it's a local thing. The um, MLS because in Portland our our, our big f sports team is the Timbers. Right, soccer. Yeah, 
uh, uh, soccer, or as others would call it, football. football. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, is that non-American football. Yeah. <laughs> right. Associate, you know, association football. football. Yeah, football. F U accent T B O L. The kicker is that the the governing body has, you know, explicitly banned in air quote. Well, yeah. I mean, they're straight banned like <laughs> no, political banned thing. It. Well, you know, they. Okay, I should say not not they banned it, but they banned political things, and uh, which includes because this is you know we're in the Pac Northwest. There was a lot of like three arrows, uh, Iron Front logo. I mean, if you've seen the three the uh, white three white arrows pointing left down on a black background, that is an anti that's an anti fascist logo symbol. That was that that's was, a good thing, folks. Yeah, that, that, it was created literally created by um, I can't. Anti-fascistish. I can't. I, I don't. I don't speak German. I speak Spanish. Uh, anti-fascistish action in the. Uh, God, I sound like this Jack there. In the late twenties, early thirties, who were like you know actively fighting, you know Nazis on their street, and uh, so because we're in the Pacific Northwest and we have a problem with Nazis again, uh, more and more football fans are bringing this signage in and Major League Soccer because of it, uh, you know it, it leaked out that like oh it's associated with Antifa and we don't want to like you know offend or kind of like slightly disturb. Oh. Because like those Antifa, I eat black lock. Um, yeah, or like violent, like you know, we so we can't possibly have that. We might decrease ticket sales, so they banned it. And so both Portland and Seattle, you know, rabbits, you know, normally except Jeremy, you can't play swastikas in either. Yeah, <laughs> did you know? Did you know? Actually, the three arrows they were designed to be drawn. Over on, the yeah, on no, top it, was, it was literally it. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of thing. Sure. Sorry, I guess drawn over the what was like it? You, like the swash sticker would be drawn by some Nazi oh, on the wall, and like and you literally yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you you tag That's it. That's cool. Like the, you could paint it. Well, like, you couldn't really tag it because nobody had spray paint then. It's some but, street wars shit. Right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was like I said, it was That's the easiest cool. thing you could that you could like tag you could tag over a swastika. Um, they're pointing left. Remember everybody, right? Pointing left, not right. Something new every day. This is what I learned from the Gord Hill books. Yeah, that sounds like a great book. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, hang on. What, oh, what, I really what, think what, Ben what, is outside. Yeah. Like, I think he's just politely waiting he, outside. He, he said, uh, I think your cat wants it. What, so, what, what so do you I recommend? I actually had a um, question about the... Uh, uh, you, the, the front? Three, yeah, yeah. Which is, I just read about it, and the bottom one is um, anti-communism. So, so e are you saying that each arrow represents something, something and the bottom right. one represents anti-communism? Yeah. Well, I'd, I've never heard that either. Okay. So. Well, I hope not. <laughs> but I'm not like a genius about that stuff. Yeah. No, because a lot of those a lot of those people were communists or communists yeah, aligned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think so. Yeah. I'll I'll find what I read. Oh, thank okay. goodness for communists. It's weird. Yeah. weird. Find it right now. We'll wait. <laughs> no. Hey! Yeah. Yeah. Hey, girl, hey! Yeah.